0: Every week, we do a Q&A with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community to find how they persevered, how they innovated, how they built communities, and how they found solutions. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast, where we talk with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community. Today, we have Zach Miller or Zach Millar, uh, which sounds like he's out of a Ben Stiller movie, maybe a Zoolander. Uh, I don't know prequel, sequel, one of those. Anyway, Paralympian from Beijing, five-time medalist at the World Championships, adaptive athlete of the year this year to 2023. Zach, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
0: This is this is good fun. You have you progressed. I mean, what you're only 24 years old, right? And you're in with a lot of these snowboarding athletes who've been around for quite a while i mean keith gable uh you know people like that that have been obviously you you do a lot with amy purdy as well so what's it like to kind of be the fresh blood out there
1: well yeah it's actually uh kind of interesting um i i wouldn't really even consider myself fresh blood um while i am 24 and i'm very young uh, I've actually been around since the sport uh, had kind of gotten its start. Um, I, I remember training with, uh, with Mike Shea and Keith Gable and Evan Strong and those guys over at Winter Park before uh, they'd even gone off to compete in Sochi in 2014. Um, so I've, I've actually uh, kind of been given this unique position of, being, you know, in my early 20s and still being uh, somewhat of a veteran of the sport, um, I've gotten to see a lot of it develop and become what it is today. And uh, it's it's actually pretty exciting to, to be just to have been a part of that, really. Um, and to, yeah, have these these new guys that are coming in that, you know, are my age. Or even a little younger or sometimes even a little older um and it's their first time you know snowboarding and uh they're like oh sweet are you new here too and i'm like actually no i've (laughs) i've been around as long as some of these other guys you know so it's uh it's cool um it's cool because of that and then it's also cool just because yeah it has led to a lot of close and intimate relationships with some of the other older people on the team um obviously i'm super close with amy uh, and her husband daniel uh they um as you might know they Uh, co-founded adaptive action sports and that's based here in copper mountain colorado and uh, they were actually that was the team that i i started really getting good at snowboarding with um i met dan at ski spectacular uh, which obviously you know of uh and he walked up he just handed me an aas patch and told me a joke and then walked away and i had no idea who that man was (laughs) or what he was doing there and then shortly after that, he introduces his wife to me. It's Amy Purdy. She gives me one of my first freestyle snowboards because she sees I'm renting one. and uh, and so that that started that massive connection. I got uh, involved with adaptive action sports, and then I started meeting all the other kind of higher performance athletes through through them. And so, yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting position to be in still being so young, but at the same time, being so involved with the sport.
0: How much were you involved in that? Because one of the things is that looking at the snowboarding, the athletes were a big part of creating the sport and creating the opportunities, doing the organization for the events. How much did you get involved with the organizational part in addition to the competing part?
1: Yeah. So that's a, that's a good question. Um, when I started, I had no idea what I was getting into. Um, I had actually discovered snowboarding through, uh, my hospital sports program through children's hospital in Colorado. I was a, a regular patient there. And, uh, my doctors noticed that I was just very competitive and they recommended the the program to my mom. And at the time it was February, I was six years old. And uh, the sport that they were introducing to the kids was skiing up at Winter Park. And so we met uh, with all the other patients and nurses and doctors in this parking lot off of I-70 and took our way up there and and skied for a day. And uh, it was through that that I discovered snowboarding then. And uh, when I started to do that, just recreationally, um, it got to the point to where my, my instructors weren't really keeping up with me. I was, I was just mobbing it down the hill and they were chasing after me, trying to get me to stop. And so they were the ones that connected me to the NSCD. Cause they were like, this kid's a racer. And, uh, they were like, sweet. Well, we would love to make an introduction because we have, uh, these two guys, Mike Shea and, and Keith Gable who are training, uh, for, for the Sochi Paralympics, and i'm like sitting there listening to these adults talk about the paralympic games and world cups and border cross and i have no idea what any of these words mean i'm just like hey can i i want to go out and get another run can i just go you guys keep talking i'll go snowboard and they were like no no this is important listen and so i'm like okay fine what is it and they were like yeah there's there's a sport that's uh really just starting to get its its footing it's called snowboard cross and it's where you get to race on a snowboard, and immediately my ears perked up, and I was like, "Okay, you have my full attention. I'm listening. What's this all about?" And they were like, "All right, we'll take it easy." And so, yeah, at the time I was 11 years old, uh, once I had learned about what what border cross was, and they were like, "You're still very new to this, so we're gonna kind of get you." started. We're going to sign you up for just a, a local race through USASA. It's, uh, it's an organization that does competitions just all around North America. Um, and so they have different series uh, from all over the United States and they just host these races. And for anyone who hasn't done it yet, it's a great way to get started. Uh, it's cheap to register and uh, everyone there is usually very welcoming. And so you can just start to learn these courses and learn the sport and start to grow there. And so that's when I met, you know, Mike Shea and Keith, and they were both like, all right, man, like, you are tiny. <laughs> we're going to see what we can do with you. You know, what, what, what do you want to, you know, what do you want to go do? And I was like, let's go snowboard. And so they just took me out and started teaching me all the basics. And by the time it was 2014, I was just chomping at the bit to go to the games. And they were like, easy. You just did your first World Cup last season and you were so aggressive that you crashed in practice. I gave myself a a traumatic brain injury. I needed a couple MRI scans just to make sure I was okay Um, Because it was my first time on a course with a race board and there was I was just still busy learning while all of this was going on around me. And so then. I kind of had to sit on the sidelines and just wait um, while the three guys went off to to Sochi and swept the podium. And so then that was like another big thing where it's like, oh, man, I just want to be a part of this. And after that was finally when they came back and they were like, all right, we got four years now until South Korea. Let's let's get you on the team. Let's figure out what it's going to take to just to get you to be the fastest guy you can be come that time and so i still was just i was just a dumb kid that just wanted to go fast i still didn't really even understand and, and now all these years later i can finally look back and be like all right yeah I needed, I needed to chill it was probably a bit annoying to deal with but um yeah that was that was kind of it i just i just wanted to race and be involved
0: How does this work? Because you're an athlete with cerebral palsy, and you said that there's really only one other athlete on the World Cup who competes with cerebral palsy, right? So in some of the other sports, like in track and field, that's a separate class or four or five separate classes. Mm -hmm. Where do you fit in on the snowboarding side? If there are only two of you, you guys aren't just racing head to head. How does this all work? That's a great
1: question. Um, yeah, uh, the, there's one other guy with cerebral palsy who competes in my division. Um, there's also a couple other athletes with uh, cerebral palsy who compete in different classes. And so the easy way to describe it is, um, for those that don't know, snowboard cross is head-to-head racing. It's four people uh, getting a gate dropped in front of them and they race down a course that has jumps, and rhythm sections and big bank turns a lot like a motocross style course and you race down that on snowboards and so because it's racing and it's just very objective whoever crosses the finish line first wins uh to try and make the playing field as even as possible we have three separate categories so we have the upper limb category which is any kind of upper limb physical disability um if you're ranging from you know being Uh, just amputation at the wrist or having some kind of hand defect all the way up to your shoulder being gone all the way up to we've had guys compete with uh, with literally no arms Um, and they're just dropping next to these other guys who have their own wide range of upper limb disabilities and uh, so that's the first class those guys are um, kind of like the fastest class Uh, they they it's kind of amazing to watch them snowboard because so much of snowboarding is balance, And yet these guys are just out there. Riding with no arms or one arm and still being able to pull so hard out of the gate because they're doing so much work in the gym. It's honestly very impressive to see. And then the other two categories are the lower limb categories. So you have the lower limb one class, which is above knee amputations or bilateral below knee amputations or uh physical um, like muscular disabilities like mine, like MS or CP, um, that affect you severely. So, uh, drastically limit your range of motion, your strengths, um, or your coordination in your lower extremities. And then you have, uh, the higher functioning form of the, the two lower limb classes, which is lower limb two. That's the one that I'm in. And so it's people with muscular disabilities like myself that are more high functioning. And we go up against guys who are single baloney amputees. So it is kind of difficult right now because those are two very different kinds of disabilities. And while in application, they are uh, a little bit more similar with me. I have left hemiplegic cerebral palsy. So my left side is weaker than my right. And I don't have a whole lot of ankle flexion on my left side. So one could argue that I am, uh, you know, from an, applicational perspective or or point of view that uh i do have a lot of the same kind of limitations that someone with a baloney amputee uh, or amputation would have um but absolutely i mean what i'm hoping is in the future there could be an ll3 category that would have athletes such as myself um where we just have uh some kind of muscular disability competing but again that that might be just several years out because right now we need numbers we need people who want to snowboard and want to do it as fast as they can regardless of their physical situation um you know that's always kind of one of the difficult things with with action sports and adaptive action sports um specifically is not a whole lot of people after being born with a disability or going through a a life-changing injury that leaves them with a physical disability will still look at sports and go, I want to do that. And, uh, the other hindrance there is just getting the word out. Not a lot of people know what border cross is and know that there's a way that you can do it with a disability. So we just need to get the word out to hopefully have more athletes, uh, coming in and signing up and starting to train and, and coming to race. So, Hopefully, you know, in the future, uh, ideally, I can have my own class full of people with cerebral palsy that I could compete against.
0: They're similar to you. One of the other challenges is training, though, too, right? So you are a border cross racer, but yet there aren't any mountains that have border cross tracks for you right. to get on and train. How do you then go and train? How are you prepared for the rhythm sections, the bank turns, the gap jumps, all these things, you just show up, get in the gate, and go? How does it work? <laughs> to an extent, yeah, kind of.
1: Um, it's a great question, and what I get all the time is how do you train for something like that? Um, and, and there's actually a lot of ways that you can. Um, so a lot of the features that we face in our courses are very similar to features you'll find in the terrain park. So that's where we spend a lot of our time training. Um, a lot of the jumps that we're hitting we're hitting at speed so we want to go into the train park and hit some of the bigger jumps and get comfortable with that speed of I'm carrying you know 40 50 miles an hour and now I'm going to jump off the ground Um, so once you can kind of get your bearings there and work on your air awareness um, and not be um, as scared (laughs) to do those things it makes showing up to the track and being ready to go that much easier and then the other thing that we just do is plenty of drills I mean people uh, oftentimes really have no idea just how much you can learn on even just a very slight incline with just a little bit of space and taking the time to just work on that, you know, fine-tuning your edge control, being able to have the right body position in the correct form, regardless of what your disability is, being able to still work the board the way it needs to to complete various turn shapes too, because a lot of passing happens in border cross in the turns. So having that confidence on your board to then show up to whatever race it is, obviously no two tracks are gonna be the same ever. They always build them with new features every single time. And so we do kind of have to show up and be like, all right, let's just drop it and go. You obviously get, you know, some time to inspect and you get to take, you know, a a bit of a stroll through the course before training opens just to look and assess. Um, So that way, you know, you're not just surprised by what's around the next turn. Uh, But absolutely, it's it's something that comes with time, something that comes with uh, some experience is just being able to spend your time outside of races, building your toolkit, we like to say. Just so that when you show up to the the race course, you can pull out whatever tool is necessary to make it over these features the fastest way you can.
0: We talked about it, skiing alpine, oftentimes running downhill, we would run a course in sections. So it's similar in some ways that you're getting some of those sections where you get those turns and you guys get really long turns too, where a lot can happen. How much different is the time trial versus the actual race, right? So the time trial is you on the course by yourself. Yeah. And then you haven't necessarily prepared for a full course. Then you get a full course with three other people, elbow to elbow, changing your line, changing your approach to the jump. Mm -hmm. How much does that change from the time trial to, the uh, to the actual race?
1: They're two completely separate worlds. Um, And I think the biggest thing that helps me switch gears uh, between those two so quickly um, is just the the mental training that comes behind it. So, yeah, you show up to a race you get there a couple days early to adjust the time and they, you know, they're finishing up building the course. Sometimes, you know, we get a, 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 you know, a cheat day early to go out there and we can't access the course yet, but we'll ride on like a run that's next to it and try and see what we can. And then, uh, then training day will come. And so training day uh, is, is your day to figure out the course. Um, You get usually about two hours. So you get maybe anywhere between three, to maybe seven or even eight, if you really try and hoof it uh, runs through this course. And then you got to go to bed that night and just spend every waking moment that you have from that point to race day, just visualizing and going over it in your head. And so then you show up on race day and you get you know one inspection where you get to kind of go through slowly again, look at the different features, maybe ask some questions that have been lingering in your head from the night before with your coach. And then you get one training run through it and then you got a race. And so you, sh- you show up for your time trial, you will order up in, in bib number. And it's, it's always funny to kind of look back at the line and the people around you because everyone's just laser focused on whatever athlete is dropping in and seeing, breaking down how they're handling the start section, how they took turn one and everyone's taking mental notes. And so it's, uh, it's, it's always very tense. It's one of my favorite parts about race day. And then it's your turn to get in the gate and this is where you this is where you have control this is where you're in the in the driver's seat you know you have your plan that you've worked on the day before and all night you know what's coming ahead you know what you're going to do you're going to do these first few features you're going to be on top of that you're going to take this line through turn one you're going to be you know left here for the second turn because you need to make that tight to the pins blah, blah 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 you know you do your run it goes well, you're feeling good. You get back up, you get your seed, and you get your heat. And that's when it's always the hardest mentally to just keep yourself calm. Is once brackets have been seated, you, know, you walk over to the board and you can see who you're up against. And for some people, their day can end immediately, just right there, because they'll look up and see that they're going against these two guys that are way faster than them. And they're just like, oh, OK, well, then I guess it's over. And they'll just give up. And so it's like, no, you got it. You got to stay focused. Take it easy. You get your heat. You wait your turn. And then you show up to the gate. And it's so much different because now you're not alone in the gate. You're with these three other dudes. And they're all trying to beat you. And the most exciting part about snowboard cross, and the reason why I always come back to this sport, the reason why, you know. I always want to spend my time doing this more than anything else is that moment you get right after they've started the the cadence to drop the gate and you're getting ready to drop, right? We, we get a racers ready attention. And as soon as they finish saying the word attention from that point for the next five seconds, the gate will randomly drop. And so you're just going off the drop of the gate. And it's so exciting because you've spent all this time, dialing everything in and now all of that just goes straight out the window you have you have no plan there's nothing to plan for you don't know what's going to happen as soon as the gate drops it becomes entirely reactionary reactive you are not in control anymore and for some people that's scary for me i just find it so exciting is the gate drops you do your best to get through the start section and be first to turn one and get the whole shot but that doesn't always happen. And so you have to be able to adjust on the fly. It's it's no longer what's coming next. It's what's happening right now. And what can I do in this split second to get the advantage? And so it just becomes so, so fast paced. And you have to make these split second decisions. That'll be the difference between you advancing or getting a podium or coming in dead last. And that's always what I find most exciting about the sport.
0: You seem to be able to to embrace the chaos and enjoy (laughs) the chaos. What elements of the race do you do well? Are you a particularly good turner? Are you good in the rhythm section? Are you good in the air? Are you great at the whole shot? You know, what do you do well that kind of, that at least you feel like you can hang your hat on coming into a section going, this this is my section where I want to make my move.
1: Yeah, uh, the good news is that I am the best when it comes to the starts and the starts basically mean everything when it comes to border cross. We have that term, the whole shot. And that's the term of uh, if you get the whole shot, you were the first rider to make it to the first turn. And therefore, you're now leading the race. So you kind of get uh, to dictate the, what the line is and what the pace is going to be for the rest of the key. And so that's always the, the, the goal we're working towards. And I am really good at getting the whole shot. Um, I have pretty good reaction time and I have a uh, pretty good dexterity with my legs to be able to break down a start section and get through it quickly and precise. And so I just spend a lot of my time when I'm training focusing on that footwork so that I can just perfectly match these transitions and pump them so that I can generate the most speed right out of the gate and make it to turn one first. Where that ends up being difficult for me is everything that comes after the whole shot. Being born with uh, left hemiplegic cerebral palsy, I've kind of my entire life just been behind the curve as far as growing up. Um, I was always smaller than my peers. I was always weaker than my peers. I couldn't run as fast for as long. And so it's always been difficult for me to just maintain that strong athletic body that you need for any action sport, really. But the difficult challenge for me with border cross is that it's downhill racing. It's a gravity fed sport. And so the more you weigh, the more momentum you carry and the faster you can go down the hill with me, I'm light and small. So that makes me quick out the gate. And quick to turn one but then sometimes it kind of turns around and bites me in the butt once we get on to one of the main straights and we're going into one of the bigger jumps these behemoths behind me who are you know in their their mid-30s and they weigh 210 220 pounds they catch up almost immediately and so i have to be super aggressive with the way that i can get into the front of the pack as quickly as possible and then try and just be as big as I can and play defense the rest of the way down. And sometimes it doesn't work out. I would say most times it, uh, it doesn't work out whenever I'm trying to defend from in front because the guys behind me are big. They've been doing it for just as long, if not longer. And so they can just wait for the nice opportunity to take a a big pass on the outside for me. So that's always my focus when I show up to every race is, How can I maximize the gap at the beginning of the race so that number one, I can get in their heads because they're like, oh man, Zach's already like way out there. How am I going to catch him? I have to worry about this guy instead and not even worry about me anymore or just making that gap big enough that they can't catch up, you know, that they, they don't have the, the, um, the aerodynamics (laughs) that, you know, I have being smaller. Um, I just do everything I can to maximize that chance out in front
0: you get the whole shot. You've also watched the other athletes. You said during the time trial, you're all watching to see where somebody's going, what they're doing. Mm -hmm. As the guy with the whole shot, do you take it upon yourself in some ways to steal someone else's line? Because that they've they've chosen the perfect line this is where they want to go as as an alpine skier there were only one of us on the course right so you're working in and figuring out what that's what that fastest line is Mm -hmm. you being in front is this part of the strategy is part of the strategy going okay let me find a way to keep them behind by effectively you're saying playing defense but making their lives miserable, because they're uncomfortable, because they have to do a turn, they have to do a jump in a place that they didn't want to do, which is ultimately, really what border cross is all about, because you're put into a position, oftentimes, that you didn't want to do where you didn't want to be. And you have to figure out how to make it work
1: from there. Exactly. Yeah, that's definitely a big part of the strategy. Um, One thing for me is, being so good at the start sections and getting the whole shot and being quickest out of the gate is that I kind of sometimes have to, uh, conceal a little bit what I'm capable of until the race, um, because it's a public course, uh, well, private, but public for us. And so you have, uh, all the different coaches from all the different teams posted, uh, you know, all the way down the course and can, uh, can see the different sections, but oftentimes what ends up happening to me on a training day is I will get into the start gate and sometimes I'm the first person to drop just because everyone else is too nervous they want to wait and see what I do first and then go off of that other times I've gotten very used to this I will you know it'll be a, an hour or so into training and I'll start to really dial in the start section and I'll I'll get back up I'll get in line I'll pull out of the start you know I'll I'll kind of nail the start section and I'll pull off. And then I'll look up and all the coaches are just holding like, video cameras. No. okay, how's it going? And so I just have to be like, oh man, everyone's taking notes on me and trying to make sure, trying to see how I navigate the course because they know if they can teach one of their bigger guys to do the same thing that I go out there and do, he's going to be that much faster. And so sometimes I end up having to be a little tactical in regards to that of, you know, how many cards do I show? And so sometimes I'll kind of get an idea in my head and be like, okay. I want to try this. I'll do something similar to without doing the same move, without maybe jumping this feature. I'll just kind of extend my legs at the same point, just to see if I can get the timing right, and then hold on to that. And so that way, come the time for the race, you know, I get in the gate, I pull out, and all of a sudden I do this move or this flick off this feature, and everyone's just kind of left there like, "Wait, has he done that before? Who? who no one's ever done that." Like, and I'm like, "Yeah, dude, I gotta, I gotta keep these secrets to myself sometimes." And then absolutely watching some of the other athletes on course, I'll see the way they'll exit out of certain turns. And they're so focused on maintaining this perfect line from turn three to turn four, that sometimes I'll just kind of jot that down mentally. And so that way in the race, if they are in close proximity to me, I'll know, oh, rather than defending the inside, I know this athlete isn't going to want the inside line because they want to take this big outside line, get the edge of the berm, and then make their way slowly from right to left. So you know what, what I'm going to do is I'm just gonna ride right in the middle. I'm gonna wait for them to take that line and then I'm gonna kind of cut them off a little bit. And so it can end up being very risky for sure, because sometimes I'm kind of stepping on toes with these guys that are twice my size. Um, but also that's just part of racing. And none, none of it is malicious, by the way. Let's just get that out of the way. We're not trying to take each other out or hurt each other by any means. And we're definitely not trying to, uh, you know, to, to, yeah, to hinder someone's race. But at the same time, you do want to make their life as miserable as possible when they're racing you. So you got to take some steps to do that. And so it just comes to, yeah, once that race happens, you know, you can make as many plans, like I said, as you want. And, oh, here's what I'm going to do to, to make this person's life miserable. And here's what I'm going to do to get the biggest gap on this person. And then you come out of turn one on you're lap and you're chasing and now you got to be like oh okay well then hold on let me get get behind the biggest guy i can and try and get a little slipstream the little slingshot you know past this guy and see if i can make a turn up you know up the inside on the guy in front of him and so that's what i always love about it is you spend all this time and you're talking with your teammates you're talking with your coaches you're doing all of this you know leading up to the race and then you know sometimes it goes your way and sometimes it doesn't Yes, the instantaneous
0: problem solving.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: just sounds cool. now you you've mentioned a couple of times that you were on the smaller side
1: mm-hmm.
0: versus some of these big guys, these behemoths, as you said,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: that you're <laughs> slightly over exuberant. Can I say slightly over exuberant? you can say, Matt, you had that your time. I mean, like first race, you went and knocked yourself out. <laughs> got a got a big head injury. Uh, so you are ready to go exuberant. And also in some of the training, I mean, you trained at one point to the point where your, where your kidneys almost shut down.
1: Mm-hmm. It,
0: are, are you sometimes your own worst enemy? Do you have to try to figure out how to minimize your inclination sometimes to, to put yourself in a difficult situation?
1: Absolutely. That's, that's actually one of the best questions that I've ever had in an interview, because, it uh, is very personal to me, and it's, uh, it's a good question that gives me the opportunity to really dive into cerebral palsy and how it can affect me, even with uh, being as high-functioning as I am. Uh, my entire life, I've always struggled to pace myself. I have this attitude that I'm, I'm always extremely competitive. I grew up with an older brother who was the star athlete in our school you know he said he showed up to school one day forgot his gym clothes so he gets you know a small write-up for that once his gym hour comes around and his his coach made him run the mile because we were doing presidential fitness that week made him run his mile in the skinny jeans he wore to school that day he still has the record (laughs) at that school That he sat in skinny jeans. So, like, I grew up with that, right? I grew up playing basketball against him in my driveway, playing soccer against him in my backyard. And so, he kind of always gave me this extremely competitive spirit that I have to just be better. I just want to be better than the people I'm going against. I want to be the best athlete I can be. I want to go out and I want to break records. And So that's always been something I'm just chomping at the bit to do. I'm always extremely competitive. And absolutely, there's been so many times where I get too wrapped up in the competition, too wrapped up in the excitement and the chaos of it all. And I forget that my body sometimes just can't keep up with what I want from it. And that's always been something that is very frustrating to me because there's so much that I can do to kind of treat that and to be preventative and to you know take care of my body. But at the same time, there are these just hard limitations that I struggle to, to, to deal with sometimes. And so with, with that one event uh, you're saying, where I almost had my kidneys shut down, I was training with one of my best friends over the summer, getting ready because I wanted to come back with this next year, this, this year, going into the games in Pyeongchang in 2018. This was the 2017 to 18 season, and I was ready to hit it, just hit the ground running, hit the ground sprinting. I was going to leave everybody in the dust. And so I told my best friend, I was like, we're going to hit the gym every day. We're going to go as hard as we can. We're going to Google what Navy SEAL workouts look like, and we're going to do those. And and so I just went really aggressive with this, right? Because I was like, we got three months to make as many physical gains as we can before I go off for one of my first World Cups in New Zealand. And so he was like, all right, let's hit it. And so I'm, you know, I'm keeping up with him and we're doing pull-ups and push-ups and running miles and swimming and doing all these crazy things. And I'm comparing myself to him the entire time. Oh, he's still at, you know, he's he's at 50 push-ups and he's still going. Well, then I'm still going. And even once things started to hurt and my body was telling me to stop, I was like, no, I'm going to keep up with my buddy, Logan. I'm going to make gains. I'm going to go to New Zealand and I'm going to win. And then one day I wake up I go to, you know, to the bathroom and it's just blood red and that's not okay. And so we go into the hospital and we get my blood levels taken and, you know, you have this, uh, this toxicity level of proteins that are in your blood that your kidneys need to filter out. And they're usually around 50 to hundred just throughout the day. If you do a really harsh workout, sometimes they'll spike up to around 500. Mine were at 17,000 and climbing and <laughs> needed to come down ASAP. And all of a sudden the doctor just comes in, he explains that situation to me and he goes, so we're gonna keep you here for three days. We're gonna put you on an IV. We're gonna make you pee every 30 minutes with you know, some medication and we're gonna save your kidneys. And I was like, okay, that's great. Hey, I leave for New Zealand in a week to go snowboard. I'm feeling really weak though with this. I can still recover in time, right? He was like, dude, no, <laughs> like you gotta chill. And so it was a humbling moment for me because I'm like, oh man, like I'm still, I'm now, you know, approaching, you know, my twenties and I want so, so bad to be this epic legendary athlete. And I keep forgetting that I have to take care of myself physically and that I have this disability that I can't get away from that I need to be conscious of. And it taught me a valuable lesson, which I'm actually pretty thankful for, uh, is that, you know, So many times as as athletes or just as you know competitive people that want the best situation for ourselves we get so caught up in the goal that we forget that there is there's always a best path to take to it and then there's the path we want to take to it and those are always two very different paths and it takes patience right and that's something that it definitely taught me is now You know, I want to hit the next season. We have three years until three seasons coming up until the next games in Milan, and absolutely, I want to show up at that games and I want to bring something shiny home. And so now I'm kind of taking a different approach to the way I'm going to do that as an athlete. I'm not going to spend my entire summer, you know, just bullying my body and destroying it because that's you know what that's what the internet says. That's what you know they say if you want to. Build muscle fast, you got to go and hit the heavy weights. Sometimes, yes, but for me, no, I'm in a unique situation, and I have to take special care of myself. So now i'm I'm able to to take it at a much different pace that still, for me, will be much faster in the long run. And that's what I'm staying focused on is, yes, it's not the same as everyone else who can just uh, you know go to the gym and crush these big heavy weights and see results quickly. For me, I'm just going to take just a different curve, a different path to get there. I can still get there. It just takes some adapting.
0: How do you reconcile that? Because one of your greatest attributes in a lot of ways is is being the underdog, right? I mean, you were the underdog in the driveway with your older brother yeah you know, the skinny jeans brother right you're <laughs> you were the underdog there this is this is part of what you bring not necessarily the expectations of like i'm protecting my space which is also funny just in that you start so well so in in effect you are protecting your space there mm-hmm. but but knowing that you that there's so much that you have to do along the way In order to be competitive. I mean, I always look at the underdogs and respect the most, respect the underdogs the most, the people who, who perceive themselves as the underdogs. They're not, they're not coasting along. They're (laughs) not coasting on, on talent. I mean, it really is one of those things that you go, yeah, I'm, I'm going to work as hard as possible because I have no idea if I have a chance of winning. How do you reconcile that underdog side with being healthy? You don't want to lose it. Right.
1: Correct. Yeah. Yeah. you actually uh, alluded to it pretty well, just in the way that you described that question is it ends up being okay. I'm, I'm at a disadvantage. I'm a smaller guy, but at the same time that comes with some strengths that comes with things that I can use to my advantage. I can turn quicker than almost anyone on the circuit because I have less momentum to change and it becomes a focus shift of, all right, these are the cards that life has dealt you. Now, how are you going to play your best hand? And so for me, I haven't really had much trouble accepting that, okay, when it comes to the gym, I'm going to have to work twice as hard as everyone else just to see half the gains. I'm going to have to work that much closer with the nutritionist to make sure that I'm getting the right amount of calories so that my body can keep up. Not not even like make big gains but just keep up um yeah that's something i've always struggled with is just my legs are so small they're thin my my true jean jean size i'm a 28 by 34 that's competing in you know downhill snowboarding no one else on the circuit has a waist size of 28 inches that's ridiculous i'm so skinny but at the same time that just allows me to wear it allows me to wear you know tighter close so I have less less wind resistance and it means that yeah I can change direction faster I can be quicker through a start section because I don't have to get so much mass moving right out the bat and it's going to take time I can just squirt out the gate and I'm gone you know and so using what I have to my advantage and trying to play to my strengths definitely helps but that doesn't mean that there are going to be times where I just can't do anything. And that leads me right into Beijing 2022. So many people have asked me, what was it like going to the Paralympics, being you know, in China and, and competing and being on the snow and going to the same venues that you, know, you watched the Olympics on? What was that like? That must've been amazing for you, right? And I always look back and depending on how close I am, (laughs) but like for some of my friends and family, they were like, how was it? And I was like, honestly, it was the worst two weeks of my life. I was struggling the entire time I was there because leading up to that, I was having a great season. I had just won my first world championship title in Norway at, at the world championships before. I mean, this is just a couple months ago. I'm getting podium placements. I have a world championship title now that I'm defending. I mean, people were sending me messages the week before I left saying, you know, we're so proud of you. We're so excited for you. We can't wait to watch you go over to Beijing and do it again. And I go over there feeling good, feeling like the wind is at my back. And all I need to do is just continue to do the same thing I've been doing this season and it's going to work out. Play to your strengths. Don't focus on the weaknesses, just keep moving, get out of the gate fast, put down good times and win races. And we show up and we see the course, and I start to get this nagging feeling that this course is built for the big boys. And training starts, and I'm not feeling fast. And time trials come around, and there were enough people there competing in our category that they needed to cap it uh, of the people who would move to finals the next day as the top 16. Okay, no problem. I've never struggled to make top 16. I'm going to go down. I'm going to set a nice competitive time so that at least my first couple heats, I can be in a good position. I can have the right gate choice. I come across the finish line and I placed 15th. Ooh. Yeah. Which for an athlete that's like been doing well, getting podiums, has a world championship title. I look up and I see the number 15 next to my name and I'm like, wait, hold on. Take a second is that right? Did we, that's, that's not a computer issue. Okay. What just happened? And it was this massive ego check for me. That's like, okay, you're at the games, you need to perform and you're not. What do you do about that? And so I, I come up to my coaches and I'm like, listen guys, I'm kind of freaking out. I just placed 15th. I barely made heats. What do I even do tomorrow? Like what? Let's look at the footage. Let's, let's start to break this down. What can I do better? Stay positive. What can I do better? And we start. That's when you
0: were one person on the course at a time,
1: right? This is before you get to the four people on the course. Before, yeah, before any head to head racing, this is just me on the course taking the right lines and being as fast as I can. And I start looking through the footage of my coaches and asking questions. And I walk out of the room feeling defeated because the best thing we could come up with is just do it again tomorrow and we'll see what happens. That was it, That was the only advice my coaches had. They looked at my riding, they looked at my form, they looked at, you know, my, my technique on the snowboard. And they said, you are doing everything that you can to be the fastest that you can. You're not gonna get much faster than this. And I was like, what? And they're like, the course just, it's, there's so much space between features. It's, you know, not on a steep incline. There's only five turns. We'll just see what happens because, you know, board across is anyone's game. The, the slowest guy can end up winning on the right day just because the, this tornado of crazy circumstances can come in and people can fall and crash each other out and then you're skirting by and winning the next heat. And so it's not over till it's over, we all say. But at the same time, like being an athlete who's been around who has experience? who's seen hundreds of race days come and go. I just felt so, so defeated. And then the next day comes and I race and I get knocked out the first heat. And I just remember walking away like, wow, okay. I've spent over a decade of my life chasing this one day. And I feel like I just failed. And it was difficult for me in that moment to, able to share that with anyone else (laughs) because you're surrounded by all these people who are happy to be there you're surrounded by teammates who just had great results you know and so it's it's very difficult in those moments to still kind of put on a smile and 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 not (laughs) not freak out right and so i talked to the sports psychologist that was there thank god and i was like i don't know what to do i don't know how i'm feeling and he was like listen you had a bad race day it happens Border cross isn't even your best discipline. You're better at banked slalom, which is one person at a time on the track with very tight turns that have these banks built up. And so it's very technical. It's all about line choice. It's all about your form. It's all about the way you move that board through the course and you come out going fastest. And that's what I have my world championship titles in: It's banked slalom. So he's like, refocus up. You got this. And I was like, all right, you're right. You're right. Didn't fully necessarily come here just for a border cross result. I still got this and the bank slalom comes and goes and I get 15th again. And I'm sitting there looking up at the time sheets and I look over at Benny, the other guy with cerebral palsy, who's outside the top 10, who is my greatest rival when it comes to bank slalom. He also is an extremely technically just talented rider and absolutely dominates In a lot of the bank slalom competitions, we're sitting there just like looking up at the timesheets, like, what did we do wrong? Like, what happened? And he's like, it's just the course. Sometimes the course is just not built for your riding style, it's not built for your body type, and there's nothing you can do. And man, I come back from Beijing empty handed next to teammates who have medals. And, you know, they're obviously doing what they should. They're parading around. They're celebrating. They're calling all their friends and family. They're coming over. They're hanging out with us. And I'm kind of sitting in the same room watching this all happen. And I'm like, man, what did I, what did I do wrong? What did I miss? What did I pick the wrong sport? I had so many doubts, right? Because what was I thinking? I have cerebral palsy. I weigh 130 pounds soaking wet. Going up against these guys who have almost 100 pounds on me in a gravity-fed sport, where is the logic in that decision? And it really made me have to come to terms with, like, dude, you are going to have these harsh limitations. What are you going to do in the moment to just keep moving? Not necessarily make progress. I mean, just get by. Because, like, after a hit like that, man I was I was struggling and so I just I started reaching out to the people that I've been close with in my life I started reaching out to some of my trusted teammates my family members my friends and nationals was coming up just here in Copper Mountain and you know our season's over that was it we just got back from the games so there's really nothing else we have to worry about but I was like you know what I'm just going to sign up for nationals and and go race because it's another race and honestly it might just help me get out of my head and it was the best decision I could have made because I show up to that event and I'm seeing all these familiar faces from around the nation that I've spent years getting to know and we're dropping onto the course together and we're chasing each other we're yelling we're having fun we're bringing up old jokes that we've made in the past and I just remember sitting down for lunch after practice at nationals, surrounded by these friends and family, these people who have come from completely different walks of life and have ended up in the same spot as me because they have the same passion. They have the same same passion for this sport that we've all come to love and we're all here together sharing it. And that's when it hit me that it was like, oh, I don't snowboard for medals. I don't snowboard because I have to be the best. Is it one of the reasons why I'm here? And is it one of the main reasons why, you know, I'm working hard in the gym and in the kitchen to be the best athlete I can be? Of course, because I want to be my best self. But is that why I snowboard? No. And that's totally okay. Results are going to come and they're going to go. They're not going to be consistent. They're never going to be under your control. But... Coming back to just the simple question of what is your why? I found myself asking that more myself than ever over the last few years. Why do I snowboard? It's because I love it, man. It's because I feel free when I'm out on the snow. I feel excited when I'm going fast. I feel alive when I'm in the air next to three other guys that I'm trying to beat to the finish line. And if there are going to be days where I'm not going to do well, that's okay. So be it. That's not why I'm a snowboarder. That's not why I identify as a snowboarder. I do this because I love it. And you know what? In the future, there are gonna be results. I just have to trust the process, and my day is gonna come for sure. And I I, I did get to have that. I mean, this season, this last season after the games went well for me. I showed up to a couple competitions where I struggled and then I started to make better progress. And by the time we made it to Spain at world championships, I walked away with a gold, silver, and bronze. So I don't, I've learned that, man, sometimes when things get hard, you start to question yourself. You start to question why you're doing what you're doing, why you're spending this time, why you're spending this money. And if you're capable of doing what you want to in life, And just being able in that moment to take a step back and be like, you know what? I'm still spending my time the way I want to because I'm snowboarding. I'm still traveling the world with some of my best friends and people I've come to know as family and I'm still having a good time. And as long as I'm doing that, at this point, I almost don't care about the results. I still want them and I'll still chase them, but it's not why I snowboard anymore. And that's something I'm very thankful for with my disability, and with Beijing, and with my snowboard career, is that all of these things have taught me that sometimes days don't go your way. And that's totally fine. There's always tomorrow.
0: So you were still that six-year-old kid who went out and started skiing and saw the snowboarders and went, I want to do that. You're still
1: that guy. Nothing has changed. I'm just as passionate.
0: That is absolutely awesome. Does being what you called a massive nerd help (laughs) you with your snowboarding at all?
1: Yes, it does. Um, For anyone that knows me, I'm a huge nerd. Uh, Probably a third of my wardrobe is Star Wars. Um, the rest of it is motorcycle gear or, or other stuff, and uh, absolutely, a lot of the hobbies that I have, uh, I, I fit the description of a nerd, and I wear the badge proudly. Um, but yes, absolutely, it, it, it is something I'm proud of when it comes to snowboarding, because it's one of the things that's taught me a lot about the sport. There's all of the different physical aspects um, and mechanical aspects to snowboarding, but then there's a lot of the technical aspects to snowboarding. And I love those. I love learning about the different waxing techniques to layer different types of waxes into your board or blend different types of waxes. And then there's the different overlays and the snow temperatures, the edge angles and the the base grinds that you can get. I mean, I could talk about that all day, Um, but that's one thing that I absolutely find uh, does help me when it comes to snowboarding is, being a little bit of a nerd sometimes helps me just uh look at snowboarding in in a bit of an objective way and see if i can find these small things to fine tune that'll make me faster when i go out on the hills so absolutely i uh i'm i'm a nerd when it comes to snowboarding i'm maybe the only nerd who snowboards as much as i do you know <laughs>
0: But I mean, you talk about like the Star Wars. I mean, that is that is the pursuit of heroes, though, right? I mean, the hero is defined as as someone who does something greater than himself or herself, and and in a lot of ways, your performance is exactly is, is exactly exactly that, right? I mean, you're living like this hero's journey kind of thing.
1: I oh, excuse uh, me. I don't know if I would call myself a hero. Um, I'm just the that's for other year. people to do, yeah, yeah, I'm just the twenty four year old kid is obsessed with snowboarding. but um, yeah, there is definitely some of that that I see in just the the journey of snowboarding is, um you know, I, I like video games and movies because they have these captivating stories that they tell us and that we get to experience, you know, through someone else's eyes. And then being able to sometimes take a step back and look at, you know my own experiences um i i do realize uh very often that i i live a very lucky and unique life even with a disability and being at my age i get to travel the world and see different cultures and then go and participate in racing that some people just would give them a heart attack to watch you know and so I guess uh, in in some aspects, um, I I kind of chase that a little bit in, in my life. Is I I do kind of want to be that hero of 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 the the brave soul who goes up against all odds and still finds a way to come out on top. I guess there's there's possibly some parallels there in the, in the, in what I what I've vision for myself in my life and what I what I chase after. So yeah, I, I guess I agree with that.
0: I think, I think you do. We're going to, we're going to have to switch it up just a little bit. We've got our, our five quick questions that we're going okay. to ask in, in five minutes. So are you ready? Ready.
1: That's all I'll okay. ever be.
0: What's the best advice that you've ever received?
1: Best advice. That's a great question. Right off the top of my head. I know what it is too, because I repeat it to myself constantly. It's basically become my mantra. And I've actually said it before too, so a little bit of a foreshadowing there, but trust the process. Man, sometimes it is so difficult for me <laughs> to, uh, to see where I'm at and then where I want to be and not get upset with the disparity. Um, I have lots of different goals in my life and I want to achieve them all five minutes ago. And <laughs> sometimes that's, you know, having that mentality... Holds myself back a little bit. But having uh it was it was Skitty, uh our our serviceman on the on the team who um he's become one of my closest friends in my entire life and uh is definitely the reason that I've won some races. He he came to me and he was like, dude, I can see it. You have the fire in you, you have the the desire. You just need to trust the process. And that helps me so much to be able to just slow down rather than looking, you know, at the top of the mountain, look at just the trail that's right in front of me. And how am I going to take the next step right now? It's a long distance away from the goal, but what can I do in this moment to take that small step and start building the right habits? So that way, when it comes to my time to shine, I can just relax and trust the process. I've already put in the work. Now I just get to do the same thing and the results will come.
0: I think that sounds great. Do you have a favorite
1: time of the day? The night, specifically like midnight. (laughs) I am a night owl for sure. My work shifts usually start at four and end at midnight. I come home and I stay up until around four to five a.m. and then I go to sleep. And a lot of people think that's crazy, um, but I love it. I love just the quietness that something like the middle of the night can only have you know even in early morning people are still stirring, birds are chirping um but when it's 2 a.m it's quiet and i kind of have this feeling like i'm uh it's almost like this feeling of peace you know i'm alone and i have my space and i have my time and i can get my projects done in in peace and in silence <laughs> i just i like it <laughs>
0: And you said your work shifts, are you still making sandwiches?
1: Yeah. So I work uh, at Chiba Hut, this little sandwich shop. Um, I bartend and I, uh, I've i become a shift leader there. So I, uh, I put chicken on bread to make ends meet and to get myself out on snow. And It works pretty well, actually.
0: Well, going with food, do you have a favorite, a go-to superfood and a go-to junk food?
1: Okay, go-to superfood that I feel like a lot of people are going to disagree with me on uh, is gummy bears. Um, I've actually, now hear me out. I've talked to a dietitian. You're coming
0: from Colorado too, so, we're, so it's suspect right now. But anyway, go ahead.
1: <laughs> I've talked to a nutritionist and one thing that um, I always bring on the snow with me during a race day is like some Haribo gummy bears or just like some fruit snacks um, because they give you just a little bit of extra boost. Uh, the sugar definitely plays a a part um but uh just having just having those up there um they kind of help me uh just stay calm and focused i you know when i'm waiting i'll just crack open a bag of some gummy bears and start tuning away and they give me a little bit of an energy boost and uh i mean shot blocks everyone thinks those are like this amazing they're 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 gummy snacks. That's what they are. They don't really have anything special in them. There's a little bit of sugar and carbohydrates, which actually, once it comes to the time to perform, is something your body will use. So that's, I guess, my go-to superfood. So that's your
0: superfood. Kale would be your junk food then. Uh,
1: Yes. Yeah. You nailed it. Um, (laughs) Kale or or asparagus, Brussels sprouts for sure um, would be my junk food. Uh, No, I uh, I would say. so it's actually, we have them at Chiba Hut, we make them. And anytime that we're gonna like, get rid of some of the day olds, I'll just sneak them into my jacket. We'll have these things called goo balls. They're delicious. So they're like a homemade rice crispy treat, but rather than just like marshmallows, butter, and then the, the cereal mix, we throw in honey, cocoa powder, and, uh, and some cinnamon in there. <sighs> and peanut butter. That was the other thing, peanut butter. So you get your protein. They're not all, they're not all bad. Um, but love, love those. I just love peanut butter in general. Like whenever I'm, um, in some of my more aggressive training, I'll usually wake up and make some type of milkshake with peanut butter and protein shake, uh, you know, like protein powder, um, just because I, I love it. So I guess that's also a little bit of a bonus superfood in there.
0: What about most influential book that you've read this year?
1: Oh, man, that's a great question. Um I have it right here. Let me get it.
0: <laughs> we have props. This is awesome.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so... I'm actually uh, rereading through this, Um, but uh, I got it because I am a bit obsessed with motorsports. Some of my favorite hobbies include watching Formula One and MotoGP and Rally. Right now, this week, we have the Isle of Man TT, the motorcycle race on the road going on this week. So I've been keeping up with that. Um, But uh, I also, uh, just because I'm obsessed with it, um, I love racing. I got this book, Ultimate Speed Secrets. The Complete Guide to High Performance and Race Driving by Ross Bentley. And I like it for a couple of reasons. Number one, it has made me a bit of a better driver just because uh, driving with some of the techniques that racers use to either adjust their field of vision or be a little more smooth with their brake or their throttle inputs just makes you a better commuting driver. It also helps me stay a little bit safer with my motorcycle and being able to pay attention to my surroundings and make adjustments off of that. Um, But also with snowboarding, just learning about the different techniques to kind of set up passes or put yourself in an advantageous position on track in a car can still apply to the same thing with snowboarding, almost more so because you don't have the, the engine to aid you in creating that acceleration immediately. You have to be more tactical in creating the right opportunity in the right window for you to make a pass that's clean where you can gain that advantage. So I, I love that book. I've been reading, been reading it cover to cover. Yeah, now on, uh, on round two.
0: That is awesome and sounds absolutely perfect in bringing, bringing inspiration from a variety of different fields to get you to hone in on your objective, to me, makes the most sense. Last one when were you most
1: scared and did it anyway oh man all right great question great question most scared and did it anyway we have one track that's famous for a very big jump it's in puha Tunturi, finland above it's like inside the the the, uh arctic circle It's near the north pole and uh this track is known for having this aggressive left-hand turn followed by a small right that just drops you down this hill into uh, a a pretty big, sizable jump. And I remember the first year that I got there, um, I was so terrified of hitting this thing. We always build a a second jump off to the right that's a little bit smaller. Usually it's only about 20 feet from the lip to the landing. Uh, But that year, I think I was maybe 16 years old, 15 years old. Uh, the distance from takeoff to landing was over 60 feet. So <laughs> how do you get into a mental headspace as a, a, a small teenager to just send your body 60 plus feet to snow? Um, and that's, that's the thing. You just got to do it. I talked with a lot of my teammates. I talked with my coaches. And uh, thankfully, one of my teammates at the time, his name was Dustin. He was like, follow me in. And so that was something that was super helpful for me. But like in that moment, coming around that turn, you know, he wasn't stopping and I wasn't going to either. And so just that brief moment of like, you're doing this. I'll never forget the way that felt. Full tuck behind this dude who's three times the size of me um, going into this jump that was going to cover, I mean, over two bus lengths and we hit it and I landed and I rode away. And I'll never forget that feeling of just like, I felt like I couldn't die. Like, I was just like, I'll live forever. (laughs) And it was was so cool. The payoff was amazing. So even when you're scared, just find a way to do it.
0: Sounds like something you're bringing forward with you from that teenage, 15, 16 year old kid to everything you're doing now. Totally appreciate it. Zach, thank you so much for joining us. This was absolutely awesome.
1: Chris, thanks for having me. It was
0: an absolute pleasure. This was great. Thank you to all of you for tuning in. We hope that you've had a good time. The greatest gift you can give us is to tell your friends. Tell your friends to tune in. Check it out. This will be a traditional podcast. So please like us. Please follow us. Please subscribe. And we will continue to bring you great content. We'll look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you.